1990, they launched the Hubble telescope into space. Now, the Hubble's up there to take pictures, stars, and planets. But they quickly realized that something was wrong. The pictures coming back were not as clear as they should have been. They were out of focus. And it turns out what the problem was that when they, when they made that lens for the Hubble telescope, the main lens, in grinding the lens, they had made an error, a mistake. It was small. It was a fraction equivalent to about a 50th the size of a human hair, but it was enough to throw everything out of focus. So they debated what to do about it, and they finally said, we're going to come up with some, a corrective lens. It's a, a prescription, like when you go to get your spectacles, <laughs> they made spectacles for the Hubble telescope, sent some astronauts up there, and put them on. The difference that it made is the difference between the one picture on your left and the one picture on your right. Really cleared things up. Just a little $1 billion mistake. Our tax dollars at work. But nevertheless, every once in a while, it's good to refocus. And it's good for us to refocus. At this time of year, people are thinking about that at the, at the first of a new year. And it's good for the church to step back and refocus as well. What is our vision for the church? What's my vision? What's your vision? Well, what's really important is not so much what my vision is, is what is God's vision for the church. It's easy to get out of alignment, easy to get out of focus. How do we refocus? Well, we use Scripture. Scripture is our prescription. The Bible, God's Word, that's our glasses. That's how we make sure we are focused on the things that God wants us to be focused on and our vision for the church. And what I want to do this morning is just step back very briefly. I'm going to look at the metadata in the New Testament. I went back and I, I read the Gospels, I read the book of Acts, and I read through the letters of the New Testament looking for specifically for God's focus for the church. And even though I've, I've read through the Bible like many of you, I've read through the Bible at least 30 times, Looking through this again with that particular perspective, some things kind of jumped out at me that uh, were, were a little bit surprising. So I want to take one major focus from the Gospels, one from the book of Acts, and one from the letters of the New Testament. Now, let's start with the Gospels. The Gospels are sort of like biographies of Jesus. If we were to name it as a genre, it's the biographies of Jesus. And from the Gospels, we learn that the focus is upward. The focus is up. Uh, Jesus said, Matthew 16, 18, Upon this rock, I will build my church. My main point here is just this. The church, this church, the church in general, and local churches like this one, it's God's church. It's Jesus' church. He came to build, establish his church. It's a big SBNR movement that's going on in our culture, SBNR, spiritual but not religious, and by that, people mean, well, you know, it's me and God. I'm into Jesus, maybe, or maybe I'm into God. I'm not so much into organized religion. By organized religion, they mean the church and all its permutations. Well, that's fine, except for one thing, that the church is not man-made religion. I mean, man's involved with it, mankind for sure, but the church is God's idea. Jesus came not just to save individuals, but to save individuals and then form us into the church and by means of local congregations and local churches. The word church is only mentioned two times in the Gospels. One is right here, and the other is where Jesus is talking about church discipline. But that doesn't mean it's not important because although the word church is only used a couple of times, Jesus constantly preached about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. 
And the church is the kingdom of God. In this very passage, Matthew 16, verse 18, and, and also in verse 19, what's going on? As you recall, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? The disciple Peter responded, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, well, God bless you because God revealed that to you. And upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock? Well, the rock foundation of the identity of Jesus. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the foundation upon which he was going to build his church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And he went on to say, in the next verse, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So in those two verses, Jesus is equating the kingdom with the church. So that's definitely the focus and the emphasis in the Gospels is the kingdom of God, which was later established on the great Jewish feast day of Pentecost, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. Once we realize this, it is God's church. That's the focus. That's the priority. We begin to realize just how important God's church is. It's kind of all I'm saying. Focus up. Realize it's important to God, so it's important to us. Some of you are, some of you are big football fans, big NFL football fans. You're into it. You have your team, and your team's playing on any given weekend. You've got the flag, you know, the team flags out there flying in front of the house. You've got the jersey for your favorite player that you're going to be wearing that day. You watch the preseason. You watch the regular season. You watch the postseason. You've joined a fantasy football league. You're into it. Me, not so much. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's not. But I'm just, it's never not so much. I don't. I don't watch the preseason. I don't watch most of the regular season. I don't watch the postseason. Certainly never joined a fantasy football league. But there is one game that I do watch every year. It's the game that most of America watches every year. What game is that? The Super Bowl, of course. Why does everybody watch the Super Bowl? Yeah, the commercials, that's what it is. It's, the, uh, it's because it's the biggest, most important, and funnest game to watch. Okay, well, let's talk about God's NFL. And look at, look at the history of the world and God's interaction with mankind as if it's the NFL. You go back to the, what we call the patriarchal age. The patriarchs were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We call that period of history the patriarchal period back in the Old Testament. That's like the preseason. And then you go into the, you move forward to the Mosaic age where Moses came on the scene, he gave, the, the law was given through Moses, the nation of Israel was created through the exodus out of Egypt. That's called the Mosaic period. That's like the regular season. And you got the preseason, you got the regular season, and then you move forward to the Gospels. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus, and a three-and-a-half-year period, Jesus and disciples. That's like the postseason. That's very important, and Jesus dies and resurrects and lays the foundation for the church. Then you move into the church age, the age that we live in, you know what that is? That's the Super Bowl. We are living in the Super Bowl of God's work and God's history, the church age. The fact that we are here in the church, this is the pinnacle. This is the ultimate. This is what the, everything has been moving forwards to, the culmination of what God is doing. The Hebrew writer says that the, the, everyone who's gone before us, those who've died, the Old Testament saints, are, it's as if they're in the stands surrounding us and cheering us on. Only through us are they being fulfilled. Hebrews eleven thirty nine. 39. These, meaning these Old Testament saints, were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us 
so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And all I'm saying is right here, whatever else we care about and what we should, whatever else we should care about, let's talk about what we should care about. I mean, we care about our families and should care about family is important, health is important, career is important, happiness, whatever else is a priority in our lives and we care about, you know what should be right up here at the top of the priority list is the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say? Seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. Everything else will, be fall, will fall into place when we've got this priority as priority number one. Our focus from the gospels, as far as the church is concerned, is focus up. Remember, it's God's idea. It's God's church. It's important to him. What does a church look like? that has an upward focus. It looks like people whose fervor and passion and love for God as time goes on is not waning, it's not growing weaker, it's not, growing, it's not uh, a mediocre. The passion is firing up more and more and more. We love God and we show up and we give our time and talent through volunteering. We give our treasure through giving. We invest ourselves in that priority. All right, so focus up. Now I wanna move over here to the letters the letters of the New Testament. But that was the Gospels. And look at a, what's the focus from the letters. Now, there could be overlap for all of these, and I understand that. But the letters are Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 John, Jude. Revelation's all, all, all by itself over here. But those are the letters. Woohoo! Steve knows all the letters of the New Testament. No big deal. I learned that in church camp when I was 12 years old. A lot of you did as well. The whole, but my idea is, what do we glean? I'm going to glean one focus from the letters. I'm going to call it focus in. It is the inward focus. Uh, what we're talking about here, when we say focus in, we're talking about sanctification. We have a sermon series on sanctification. Sanctification are growing in the faith, are being grounded in the truth and sound doctrine and the knowledge of the Lord, and love, of becoming more mature. Here's a sample verse, Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, that's the church, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You've got to have the inward focus. So we can't just baptize somebody and leave them to sink or swim. Now, like I said, there's, there's overlap. I mean, I could go back to the Gospels and the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you leave them and go baptize somebody else. No. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's discipleship. That's what happens when Christians, people become Christians, and then there's the inward focus on them of discipling, where they, be, they learn the Bible, they learn doctrine. The word doctrine simply means teaching. They learn true doctrine, they become grounded, they grow into maturity and the fullness of the knowledge and the love of the Lord. This is the discipling process, the inward focus. Now, and it takes some work, and it takes, frankly, some oversight and some skill for all of us. You can't disciple yourself. 
Violet Hill Farm in West Winfield, New York is a family farm that sells its wares at Union Square in New York every Saturday. On a weekend in February 2016, the owner, Mary Carpenter, had seven orphaned newborn lambs with her. The lambs had to be fed every four hours, so she brought them with her in the back of her converted school bus. On Saturday evening, some would-be hero discovered the lambs cavorting in the back of the bus and decided that not only were the lambs cold and hungry, but that he was qualified to rescue them. He broke into the bus, fed the lambs a half gallon of cow's milk. Newborn lambs are susceptible to a life-threatening illness that can be brought about by an inappropriate diet which is why Carpenter was bottle feeding her lambs on a strict schedule. The lambs were also eating milk replacer, specially formulated for lambs, not cow's milk. The person who broke in and fed the lambs cow's milk did not have any idea what or how lambs eat, and he put their, their lives at serious risk. In fact, two of the lambs died as a result of the meddling. You know, a lot of things, they're a little bit more complicated than they appear at first, and that includes farming, and ranching, and shepherding. And it includes discipleship. Some people think, well, you know, all churches are basically the same. and They're all teaching the same thing. Look, that's not true. There's a lot of great churches teaching true doctrine. There's also a lot of false doctrine being taught. If a new Christian comes under great leadership, pastors, elders, teaching, they can become grounded in the faith and they grow in their knowledge and maturity and love. If they come under poor shepherding, pastoring, teaching, false doctrine. They become spiritually sick and can even die. This business of discipleship is very important. The elders are charged with overseeing this process in a given congregation. Peter wrote, 1 Peter 5, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. It's great when people attend our congregation. If you're attending, you know, checking us out, church shopping, wonderful. Do that as long as you want to. But at some point, we always encourage people to become a member, to make a commitment. Because when you do that, you are aligning yourself under the oversight for your shepherding, your spiritual development, under the pastors, the elders, the elders, same person, the elders and the pastors of this congregation. You are accountable to them and they are accountable to God for you. Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. you know, some, it may not be this church, but, but we all need to be in a church. Huh? I don't like this church. There's too much money in the buildings and things. That's fine. Go meet in a house church or go eat in an open-air church out on the field. Doesn't matter to me, but make sure that that church is scriptural, biblical. There's elders, there's pastors helping with that whole process of discipleship. What does an inward focus look like in a church? Looks like a church where people show up, but they are committed. They're committed to each other and often are involved in life groups, small groups, and Bible studies, where we can carry out the one anothering, the one another passage in the Bible, love one another, share one another's burdens, pray for one another, teach one another. That one anothering is taking place. It's the inward focus, spiritual growth. Okay, what are we looking at? We're putting on the glasses of God's Word, just revisiting. I know this is a reminder you already 
knew that. You already had your upward focus and the inward focus, but it's okay for us to remind ourselves of this from, from the Bible. So we've got the upward focus, we've got the inward focus. Now let's move around here to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is like a history. The Gospels will be biography. You've got the letters, their letters. The book of Acts is a history of the early church, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. It covers about 25 or 30 years of history there. And as I read through the book of Acts, again, with this perspective I'm looking for, what is God telling us here about the focus of the church? There was an, an emphasis that just kind of jumped out at me. Maybe it will for you too. I'm going to read nine verses over about 20 chapters here. Let me read in quick succession nine verses. See if any theme jumps out at you as you, as you watch on the screen and I read these verses. Starting with Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 4, 4, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men believed who believed grew to be about 5,000. Acts 5.14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts 11.21, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. 14.21, there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Acts 17, 12, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And Acts 21, 20, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. You don't need a seminary degree, do you? <laughs> to see, there's a theme here. That's the growth, the numerical growth and expansion of the church. I call this the outward focus. The outward focus. The inward focus, but we always cannot become just an inwardly focused church. We have to keep that in proper tension with the outward focus of the church. Of course, what we're talking about is evangelism. Continuing to reach out, bring other people in, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the one that typically takes more intentionality and energy from a church because the inward focus tends to take care of itself. We tend to drift toward the inward focus. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. We're all here. Hey, I like this. I don't like that. You know, the inward focus is going to get its attention. Like if your car is out of alignment. You know when your car's, the tires are out of alignment, it's going to pull to one side or the other. You take your hands off the wheel real quick, then it pulls to either to the right or to the left, and the, the tires wear unevenly. Well, when a church gets out of alignment, it tends to pull toward the inward focus. There's not many churches that are having a problem of baptizing too many people. That's not the problem for most churches. It's that we're not baptizing enough people. We're not bringing in enough. It's the outward evangelistic focus. So we have to be more intentional about that one in particular. Charles Spurgeon said, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled... At least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned or unprayed for. That growth in the church in the book of Acts was not easy. It never is. When I read through it, I was again impressed. In order for their churches to grow, it took visions. It took time. It took miracles. It took dreams. It took people accommodating for each other in order for God to break through some of the traditionally-minded early 
church members to open up and let other races in, let other languages in, let other cultures in so that the church could continue to grow. It takes effort. It takes work, dependence upon God, and we can't give up. Hard work. You may say, well, Steve, I've been sowing seeds and I've been trying, you know, but I've just not seen any fruit. And we go through periods like that. But let's remember something. These things are the result of God's work and our cumulative efforts. We don't always see immediate results from the seeds that we sow. In some cases, we may never see the fruit that is born from the seeds that we sow. But what we're doing does have a cumulative effect in someone's life. Stan Antonio Spurs basketball team has this quote hanging in their locker room. When nothing seems to help, I go and look at the stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. I baptize a lot of people just because I'm the minister. It's kind of expected. But I understand. It's not because of what I did in that person's life that they decided to be baptized into Christ. I might just be the 101st blow. It's because of the influence of this person's, maybe their parents, maybe their grown children, the influence of a neighbor, could have been the influence of things that were said and planted decades ago, of what happens to them when they come into a church. But I just happened to be there when the ice melted or the stone cracked they were baptized. All I'm saying is don't get discouraged here and never give up on these evangelistic efforts, the seeds that we are sowing. In my family, when I was growing up, it was our mother who made the difference in our lives spiritually. She took us to church and dad stayed home. And so I was a church kid and I was, I was baptized very early and I went to church camp in the summertime, go to a week of church camp. Some of you grew up going to church camp. Wonderful. We'd have classes in the morning and then we'd have playtime and swim time in the afternoons. We got Lake Aurora Christian Service Camp right over here in Lake Wales. Send your kids to church camp. It's great. But anyhow, I would go to church camp. I'm 9, I'm 10, 11 years old. And one of the classes, almost always, we'd learn a little gospel presentation. So I would come home from camp. I would sit down with my dad. I said, Dad, let me show you something I learned in camp. And I would go through the plan of salvation with him. I said, what about that, Dad? You think you're ready? No. No. He always said no. Can you imagine saying that to your 10-year-old, your 11-year-old, your 12-year-old, year after year? No. So uh, I'm in college, senior year of college, and I, I come home uh, on a break, and, and Dad goes to church with us that Sunday, and at the invitation hymn, he went forward, and he was baptized into Christ. And then he died a few years later, not, not, not that long after that. And we were so happy. We were so happy that he had responded, that he was suddenly responsive to the gospel. But was he suddenly responsive? Not really. It was the cumulative effect of his parents. He had godly parents who had sowed seed in his life. My mom, his wife, had been working and influencing him spiritually, the preacher at the church there, other people in his life. I was part of that process. The Holy Spirit was involved in that process. And it took years. But on that day, the stone cracked. The 101st blow. And the ice melted. 
and fruit was born. And so I'm just saying a word of encouragement here to us as a church. Man, we may go through a time of drought. Never, ever give up on the upward, inward, or the outward evangelistic focus. Fruit will be born in due time. Galatians 6, 9. So let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. If we don't, give up. Our Father in heaven, uh, today, as we come together as your church, we're just reminding ourselves of what the priorities are, what, what's important in our lives, what we're supposed to care about. Many things, but we do care about your church. We're a part of it, but you own it. It belongs to you. We remember that as we're, as we're growing here, we're loving you and glorifying you and your church. We're growing spiritually. We're also keeping our eyes open for those who are searching, spiritually searching for a place to belong. May, that, may we always have a, a seat ready, a door open, hearts open to those who are seeking. We pray for you, God. We're planting seeds. We pray for you to bring the fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.